There are dire warnings that New South Wales will be hit by increasingly extreme weather. 2015 was the hottest year since climate records began. Your show this July was the single hottest month in recorded history. Australia sweltered through its hottest spring on record. Climate change is now affecting every country on every continent. The rate that's a great concern. And what do you put that rate down to? Oh, it's human activity. We have everything we need. Some still doubt that we have the will to act. But I say the will to act is itself a renewable resource. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Climactic, the people's voice on climate change. Hello, Mark. Hello, listeners. We have an interview with Lee Baker mm-hmm. about her fresh and really refreshingly optimistic perspective on climate change solutions. It was Lee who put us both onto Paul Hawkins' book, Drawdown, and we might have a quick chat about that after the interview. She did introduce us both to Drawdown, and I'm really grateful that she did, and I'm looking forward to having a chat with you about it after the interview. So what's your background in all this, Leigh? So I spent the majority of my working life as an IT geek in Australian manufacturing companies, university holidays, physically working on a production line. <laughs> uh, working holidays. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, then I, I went into IT in, in the uh, old, old days when uh, programming was something you learnt through a traineeship, not through a degree. That's right. And the particular job choices I had led me into manufacturing mm-hmm. uh, and um, getting stuff done in factories and warehouses. I pretty much ignored sustainability because mm-hmm. it was just... You had no place in the industry at that point. Well, it was just too depressing because I couldn't mm-hmm. see solutions. Uh, after a long time, two decades probably, uh, I was retraining into um, internet and web design Mm -hmm. Uh, and they wandered in on their lunchtime and they announced a specialty in sustainability at Swinburne. Mm -hmm. And I didn't do the masters, but the way they talked about it, they talked about the solutions from the perspective of let's redesign how we make and deliver the things that we use. Oh, so manufacturing. Yeah. And so, and that started to make a whole heap of sense to me. Yeah. And so, because it's, you know, it's like what we do in manufacturing now until very recently with 3D printing has always sort of been themed on mechanical engineering that has a heritage out of the blacksmith shop. Yes. We pound metal, we heat metal, we carve bits off it to get mm-hmm. the right shape. Yeah, we don't build up to it, yeah. we, we drill down yeah. to it. Yeah, so we use... Very so energy wasteful. Yep. Yeah. And it's inherently energy inefficient. Mm-hmm. And it's inherently, because it's sort of the mindset is 200 years old. Yes. And inherently, what we're talking about is a one way thinking about the system from a time when the planet seemed endless. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now we're realizing it yeah. is finite. And yeah, and that was nice back in the twenties when the world had about even in nineteen twenty with Henry Ford and the mm-hmm. world had maybe two million people. Yeah, two two billion people. Two billion yeah. people. Yeah. So, but now the world has a few more people than that, and Definitely. we're hitting the limits. Yep, and we're on track for a lot more. Mm-hmm. It's not just about 
trying to do something at the end of the process. It's about inherently redesigning how we make things so we make things beneficially. Yes, definitely. Uh-huh. And what doesn't ever hit the mass media and very few people seem to see is, in fact, that proportion of the human population, that 12% that is thinking about the future, mm-hmm. uh, has been thinking very hard about this and they have been inventing stuff for over 30 years. So we have all the, at a technical level, we have all the solutions. Do you want to maybe run through some of those, some things that people um, don't know that so, would amaze us? Yeah, the, the things that, some of the, the key things that have come out that stand out in my mind, one of them is the idea of the circular economy. So let's design our products so that at the end of their life, we maintain their inherent value and we make them into other valuable stuff. Are you starting to see that? If you think about the development and the thinking, years and years and years ago, yachtsman Ian Tiernan went around the world, came back and started Clean Up Australia. Mm-hmm. Yachtswoman Ellen MacArthur went around the world, saw the mess that the oceans were in, came back and started a foundation to support the spread of the circular economy. And so now there is a whole heap of thinking and design and there are even certification programs. There's one called cradle-to-cradle product certification where not only do you design things so that materials go round and round endlessly, but you also design them so that they aren't harmful. Mm -hmm. So we move away from the idea that a little bit harmful, a little bit poisonous is all right. Mm -hmm. It won't kill us. You know, we Talk well, about. We should learn that lesson. Yeah. Asbestos and okay. lead and. Yeah, and. Um, these are teachable moments. Yeah, and yeah here mean, we are. but we're human. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> at the end of the that. day, we're human. One of the leading environmental writers and change makers, Paul Hopkin, has said future existential threat does not motivate human beings. Mm-hmm. We're far more concerned about what we might lose now mm-hmm. rather than something terrible in the future. Mm-hmm. And that's every bit as true for the CEOs of big business as it is for ordinary people in the street. That's true. So it comes round to, well, how can we do things better? How can we do things differently? We took lead out back at the mm-hmm. start of the 20th century. We finally got round to taking it out of petrol. It's still a bit in diesel, but mm-hmm. EVs will fix that. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> yeah. How can we make things better? How do we design differently? If we say there's a fixed amount of technical nutrients in the system and we want to keep recirculating that technical nutrient, so everything that we make, everything that we use should either be a biological nutrient that we can throw on the compost heap. Yep, and I use it that way. Or a a technical nutrient that we can take back into the system and use again. That's a beautiful description of it. I haven't heard it that well before. It's a good addition to my vocabulary. (laughs) And as I said, the smart thinkers have been thinking about this for a long time, and that is the thought, a description by a Swedish cancer doctor, Carl Henrik Robert, from back in the 
80s, I think. Wow. I have to check it up. So all the design thinking has been done. Yes. Okay. So we have the circular economy. Another key thinking change is to biomimicry. Mm-hmm. And that's a shift away from our heritage of mechanical and chemical engineering. So when we purify water, either we use a mechanical means to strain it or an energy-intensive chemical, uh, me- I don't know, boiling water. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of energy to boil water to kill it, whether you call that mechanical or chemical. Yeah. yeah. Or, or we go for the poisons, we go for chlorine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Biomimicry is a shift in approach that says, well, actually, nature's been designing beneficial systems for 3.8 billion years. What can we learn from natural systems? And what, in the case of water purification, nature does that, A, by evaporating it to rain, but also by spinning it in whirlpools. Mm-hmm. And in tornadoes. Nature centrifuge. Yeah. So creating vortex, vortices and using the power of water vortex processing to purify water. Cast off contaminants. Yeah. Or other materials. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that is not just a nice scientific idea. That is actually a delivered technology that is now, now being implemented in California. It's been in Europe for over five years. And it has now been field tested and approved by the American authorities for purifying the water that goes into air conditioning systems. Great. And taking air bubbles out. So there's, there's this massive technology. That's why I get excited. It's not that I'm an expert at any one, but there is a massive amount of technology and the pieces are starting to come together. Mm-hmm. So yes, we've had solar. But now we've got blockchain, so the people who have excess solar can trade it, and we've got the IT technology of the microgrid, so it can be real-time information capture and exchange. So we now have, down in the Latrobe Valley, the solar energy being traded using blockchain. It's percolating up there. And one of my favourite quotes on the subject of sustainable business and thinking about how can we do things so that we regenerate ecosystems and communities is, again, from Europe, sustainability, the biggest opportunity since the invention of money. Mm. And if you... It's the only way to keep money viable long-term. Money doesn't really mean anything without Mm -hmm. sustainability. Yeah. And uh, so you have Dell and General Motors just launched at the end of 2017 an ocean plastic supply chain. Brilliant. Brilliant. Apple, who used to be a bit precious about losing their intellectual property, is now a signatory to the circular economy, which means that not only are they going to design materials so that they can be recycled, but also that they're making a commitment to 100% upcycled inputs. When the technology leaders of today are out there doing startups in the sustainability space. And Google's another one. Google announced a startup in 2017 of geothermal energy for domestic heating. So, yeah, so that's Alphabet, parent yes, company that, of that's Google. Right. Yeah. You know, Google does search <laughs> yep. engines. But so those well entrepreneurs, yeah. yep. those entrepreneurs are just indicative 
of how much opportunity there is out there. That's right. And so you and I met because we were at an event and I happened to have a copy of a book called Drawdown. The interesting thing about that book is a reflection of human nature is that we've been talking about climate change and the causes and the possible risks since about the 1860s. Mm-hmm. Okay, it took until 2013 for somebody to actually sit down and say, well, if it is a problem, how much would it take to fix it? Mm-hmm. But that's what we now have. Not only do we have all of these amazing technologies and all these possibilities, the thing that I think the drawdown research catalyzes is that, okay, and now we know which is most important to do. So it's a list list of things to do. What is it worthwhile me doing? Turns out, according to the drawdown research, it's probably more valuable at the moment that I learn more vegetarian cooking and not worry so much about recycling. Yep, agriculture, number one, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah, Uh, uh, number one. Uh, depends how you slice and dice it. That's right. Yeah. So pro- it's probably worth stepping back a bit mm-hmm. and saying drawdown is concept by a really smart sustainability guy called Paul Hawken, who's been in the game for 30 years. He, from time to time, would ask top climate scientists what the answers were. And they would basically say, oh, I don't get funding for answers. <laughs> That's right. I'm here to okay. ring the bell, mm-hmm. yeah, sound yeah. the alarm, and that's okay. it. Okay, so he said, well, uh, let's follow the classics of time management and energy management. Let's begin with the end in mind. We don't just want a bit less greenhouse. We've let this go on so long that what we actually need is to work out how to get to having a system where what we do actually draws gases out of the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So not so much carbon dioxide. No. There's been a lot of hassle about that, and that's because all the different 100-odd, 200-odd greenhouse gases are measured in terms of their CO2 equivalents. Oh, wow. Yeah. I realise that. Yeah. But the number one solution for getting to an economy that consumes greenhouse gases is to control refrigerant gases. The number one most powerful solution is simply at end of light in refrigerators and cooling towers and air conditioners to capture those gases and either make them harmless or reuse them. Yes. So you can tie back into yeah. 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 You let them into the atmosphere, they are thousands of more power, times more powerful than carbon dioxide. Mm. So that's that's number one. So what 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 the team at Drawdown did was they collected several hundred solutions and then they went through them, evaluating and analysing them for the ones that were most practical where they could prove there was an, a real impact from existing well-qualified data sets and what was most scalable. Mm-hmm. What could we take and act on? We can act on refrigerant gases. So they ended up with a short list of 100. They ranked them according to their powerfulness of impact. And so at an individual level in that 100, refrigerant gas management is number one. Another way to slice and dice it is to look at the sectors. So food, 
energy production, materials. Another really interesting one, women and girls. It turns out in that top 100, number six and number seven are educating girls and providing accessible family planning. Because those two things together, plus further down the list, women smallholders, that deals with population. Okay, a girl who has made it to year 12 will have two children on average. A girl who gets ripped out of school at 13 had five or six. So if we want to deal with population, that's what we do. And that's number six and seven in the top 100. Number one is refrigerant gases. Number two is a bit more expected is wind power on onshore wind turbines. Number three is reduce food waste. Number four is eat a high vegetable diet, mm-hmm. which is good for your health anyway. Who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's, again, that the, that's what Drawdown gives us, so we can now have a conversation that says what's most useful to do. And as Paul Hawkins says repeatedly, all the 100 solutions are important to do. Yes. So it then becomes down to the individual, what can you do at home and what can you take to work? So what you can do at home is probably, you know, learn learn some more vegetable recipes. That's right. (laughs) Okay. What else you can do at home is shop more carefully and throw less food out. If you can put rooftop solar on, do that because that's number 10 out of the top 100. But if you can't, don't worry. Find out what you can do. What can you take to work? If you're anything in the building industry, the buildings and cities sector is number four. And that covers everything from water savings, energy efficiency, smart thermostats. Using as many recycled Mm -hmm. inputs to the process as possible. LED lighting. Going to your, uh, if you're in a manufacturing company, going to the R&D department and you know, making sure they know about cradle-to-cradle product innovation and how to do circular design. Because the leaders, the world leaders who have done this, because they've used it as a leverage for innovation inside existing business structures, what do they have found out is that actually... When you apply this innovatively and you sit back and you don't just try and fix one process and make it more efficient, but you look at the system, you're creating a a base for massive innovation and massive savings and massive efficiencies. That's right. One of the classic stories that's told about a carpet company called Interface is all the different things that they have done over the years from solar power to landfill gas reuse, to designing their carpet tiles to match the to be like the random pattern of a forest floor, mm. which means that they don't have quality problems anymore because no two tiles are the same. Nice. Which means that they don't have to worry too much about laying them because yes. they can be laid in any sort of pattern. Which means that if one tile in somebody's carpet gets damaged, they just pull out the one tile and they slot one. another one in because it's the random pattern of a forest floor. So I, I like that a lot. Yeah. Oh, another one. Another good one uh, is they found out how to get carpet put down without using horrible glues. Mm. So now they have a commercially viable offering to lay them 
in a way that means that the office isn't uh, a no-go area for five days while the yeah. organic compounds clear. Yeah, toxic adhesives. Yeah. It's great. So, yeah, it's uh, another... really good practical examples there. Yeah. It really helps me picture mm-hmm. what, what a company taking on board these principles mm-hmm. can actually look like. Yeah. And so it's not what's the formula I have to follow. It's what's the thinking change that I need to make. What are the assumptions I need to query? Where are we so honed into doing things the old way Mm -hmm. that we can't see new opportunities? And then, okay, well, if I look locally for what local needs there are, what local resources that we have, then I could find myself doing anything from growing wood mushrooms on leftover coffee grounds to building leftover coffee grounds into shoe insoles because coffee grounds stop smell. I could use some of those. <laughs> That'd be great. Fantastic. Mm. You've given me so much to think about there, mm. and I think that's already my that's going to be my checklist. You've just given me to speak to people doing these things. So I've got um solar le- uh, power ledger is a company in Perth mm-hmm. doing the the blockchain solar yep. work i'm speaking to them yep. soon mm-hmm. life cycle doing the mushrooms from coffee mm-hmm. grounds and yep. these are just individual companies yeah. we, we hope that many more companies mm-hmm. take on each of these niches yeah. well for me the important thing to spread is that the the design work has been done That's you right. don't have to start something from the ground up I mean, you stop just have to the wheel for this. observe differently mm-hmm. and the other thing that I am really emphatic about because for 20 years as a IT person trying to get new systems adopted by manufacturing people mm-hmm. I learned what by experience which the human systems are evolved to actively maintain the status quo and resist change we do not have a technology problem we have a challenge of using Everything that we now know about human behavior, Mm. neurobiology and motivation and innovation to adopt the information, the stuff that we already have. Yeah. Can we speak a little bit more about that? And like, how is that going to be possible? I mean, we've got drawdown. There is like the manuscript to follow for the technology side. Mm -hmm. But how do we get... How do we get more mm-hmm. companies like the carpet company who's uh, willing to be in a bit of... Well, that that's that comes back to how do you motivate an individual. Mm-hmm. And the way that the head of this carpet company was motivated was because one of his sidekicks kept coming to him and saying, boss, the, company, the customers want to know more about what we're doing for the environment. And for the boss, that was just a black hole because what you did about the environment was you complied. Yeah, and they were compliant with everything, but the customers kept wanting something more to be done about the environment. And so, what the sidekick did one day was say, "Boss, well, if you don't know, why don't you set up a working party to find out?" And the way I've heard the story told is that the boss went. It's off my shoulders now. (laughs) We're going to have a working party. Awesome. I don't need to think about it anymore. That's right. That's Uh, generally the result of every single working group, isn't it? Yeah, this one was a bit different. Yes. Because this guy was an entrepreneur and he'd taken this carpet tile nothing from a company from almost nothing to a global successful corporation 
in 20 odd years mm-hmm. okay but what really got him going was when his sidekick and came back to him and said okay boss the working party's organized and all we need from you now is an inspiring kickoff speech <laughs> <laughs> and he went down <laughs> I got some buy-in straight away. Yeah. And then being a smart, successful person who solves problems by talking about them with other smart people, it went through his network that he needed to know new ideas about sustainability. And somebody introduced him to a book called The Ecology of Commerce, huh. written by one Paul Hawken. Uh-huh. whose name you might recognise yeah, from Project Jordan. Yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> and basically in the ecology of commerce, the boss took away the idea that government couldn't solve this. Business was the only group big enough and organised enough and action-oriented enough to actually deal with this. And so he went to that working party and he said, Big, hairy, audacious goal. We're going to be the world's first restorative business. I want you to find out how we are going to change our business so that it will actually make the ecosystem better. And they looked at each other, and when he left the room, they went... Yeah, yeah, it's a freak out moment. Yeah, and and it wasn't just how we do that, but is he for real? Yeah, yeah. Has he had a breakdown? Yeah, like how how much (laughs) less profits is he willing to take? How much capital are we taking on for this? The boss has gone mad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then Uh, what happened? And then somebody in the group basically stood up and said, "Well, but it's it's him. It's this guy who's taken us from zero to a world-leading global corporation. Maybe we should trust him and try and answer his question. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. He's earned that. Yeah. And so they went off and they calculated and they got it totally wrong and they thought, <laughs> well, maybe 10 years. <laughs> Back in 1995. <laughs> yes. So they weren't quite right, but, but that was the start of the process and they launched it into the company and they launched it in such a way, as I said, to every division, mm-hmm. you guys work it out. Yep. And we're, yeah, and we're setting a criteria, essentially good for business, good for the ecosystem and good for the community. Yes. So don't bring me expensive stuff things yeah don't bring me compliance stuff bring me things that are good for business and restorative both for the ecosystem and for the community you know you give people a direction and particularly in this organization you pay them for you pay them a bonus for delivering a res- yeah a solution yeah just set up the incentive yeah. structure yeah. and they're not a perfect company Mm-hmm. Okay, they're still a human organisation. That's right. I am quite sure there were people who still for years would quietly take Logan carpet down the tip. Yeah. yeah. Uh, even though the yeah, corporate directives, we want to recycle our, our car- all our carpet. But they really made some strong advances. And more and more and more, as more and more businesses get into it, they find as they step back and take it strategically, as they stop micro-focusing on making one process a bit more environmentally efficient and say, how can we strategically reorient our systems? They start to go, oh, well, that's nice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Why should we pay 
regulations, regulators for toxic waste disposal rights if we don't create toxins anymore. That's right. And so, if we, by setting that goal, if we find a way to do okay. it in a, in a way that pays, yeah, yeah, then, yeah, yeah it's just saving yeah. money. So we have this 20th century industrial age thinking mm-hmm. that says, oh, the APA used to be a real hassle, so anything to do with the environment is going to be boring, mm-hmm. regulation-based, costly. Yeah. costly. If you do it step-by-step, process-by-process, it will be. If you sit back and you look at the system, and we have tools now for looking at systems, and we have tools now for dealing with the big, big hassle, which is human resistance to change. But we know how to do that too. Because mm-hmm. if internet marketers can sell weight loss programs, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. No, the psyche is understood enough now that we can. Yeah, we can yeah. work out how to motivate somebody. Yeah, and so we have all those tools. Plus, we now have the carrot of, oh, by the way, it's actually profitable and it's fun. <laughs> that's right. It's hopeful. Yeah, you don't have to shut uh-huh. your eyes to facts uh-huh. to just yeah. go to work. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So Lee, you, you've given me a lot of hope and encouragement today. Mm-hmm. I think you're just a well of knowledge. I'm going to have to keep coming back to you over and over. <laughs> yeah. So are you like a solutions enthusiast or what are you, why do you fill your days now with this knowledge um, you've got? I'm a strategist. It's the best way I can say it. I was a business systems analyst for 20 years and I'm still a business systems analyst. That's right. I still help people to see the systems that they're dealing with and how to make them work better. Good. As a lot of businesses uh-huh. have to catch up to you, though, because you're now a business systems uh-huh. analyst. Be able to tell them how to do these new systems well. They just maybe mm-hmm. have to yeah. start getting ready yeah. to So I don't know what the word is. It's sort of not coaching. It's sort of not co- consulting. Yep. It's a bit of training and education. Yes. But it's just about being a provocateur and saying, who says it's hard? Yes. Who says it's impossible? Who says we don't know what to do? Oh, come on. We drive robots around the surface of Mars by remote control. I can have a Skype conversation with my niece on the other side of the planet in about 30 seconds from the phone in my hand We to suggest that we don't know how to fix this is nonsense. We have all the answers and now particularly the technology is combining so we can do 3D printing mm-hmm. on shapes that were particu- previously too hard to machine up to create vortex processing technology for water purification and better thermal qualities of water. Mm-hmm. 3D printing technology now supports a technology that couldn't have happened 20 years ago. Blockchain and the internet and communications physical tech mm-hmm. now enable us to trade solar energy around the Latrobe Valley. So yeah. We have it. We just it's bubbling up from the bottom so we can't see it because part of our old fashioned thinking is that we're looking for somebody up at the top. Yeah. To right. tell us what to do. That's right. And a lot of people that I've been seeing and uh chats about online about drawdown is saying, well where is this place where all the drawdown solutions are stored? And No. No. Drawdown is simply these are the areas worth working in. That's right. So you go work out some of the things. Yeah. Heating, 
there's an industry called HVAC R. Mm-hmm. Heating, ventilation, air conditioning, refrigeration. Mm-hmm. They are going to be the climate avengers. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're going to come out of the plant room and the things that those guys do from water efficiency to smart thermostats to living buildings yes. are going to be amazing. And and we're all going to be sitting around saying, Oh, so it wasn't all about me putting a solar panel on the roof or driving no, my car. Well, that's the company I should have invested in as in my super. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So brilliant. Yeah. Well, yeah I'm so, I hope that gives you a, so a good encouraged. feeling. It, it really, really does. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. right, this isn't a message that really gets talked about very much. We, you know, people concerned about the climate sit around mm-hmm. like I do. Yeah. And we mm-hmm. say, oh, aren't we all concerned? Mm-hmm. How yeah. concerned are we yeah. feeling today? Yeah. Well, part of it, there's a, a lovely discipline called systems thinking for learning organisations, and part of it is starting stepping back and saying, what is my part in this problem? Mm-hmm. And part of the issue is something that's come out of recent developments in uh, the psychology of well-being. How do you make a person hopeless? You make a person hope, hopeless and helpless when you tell them a problem is permanent Mm -hmm. when you tell them a problem is everywhere that it's pervasive and when you tell them it's all their fault it's a personal problem because they're greedy consumers or thieving industrialists or whatever category is carrying the blame today so if the only message that you do is say it's all going to be terrible you are creating helplessness yeah, and that's, again, it's another part of the, the dynamic of why these human systems are resisting change mm-hmm. because all people are getting is it's all going to be horrible and we're going to have to drive our cars less and eat less meat you know, and we won't be able to go overseas anymore. And mm-hmm. we're just going, no, I don't want that. Yeah. You know, more and more the research is showing that if we start designing for regeneration, of communities and ecosystems, if we take away the false divide that says business is over here all on its own mm-hmm. and go, actually, no, business exists inside a community which exists inside an ecosystem and the ecosystem is finite, so how do we make regenerative business? Mm-hmm. It's the funny thing of the human brain. You ask the right question you get a really cool answer. But we've got to learn to shift to what's right and what can we do. That's right. Rather than what's wrong. Because I've got to tell you, I don't want environmental solutions from the people who think that the answer to road safety is speed cameras. Yes. Do you? No. No, very good point. Very well Um, said. So an action-packed show today, as they say in the classics, but I'd really like to get your thoughts on the book Drawdown, Mark, uh, which Lee covers in great detail in this excellent interview. Yes, you're completely right, Rich. That is an amazing book. It's such an amazing resource, and I had only ever heard of it when Lee told me about it about you know four months ago. So it's it's amazing that even when you're out there talking to people about climate change, people who are concerned about these things, people who are working in sustainability, the word really isn't fully out there yet about drawdown, mm. which is, I think, kind of staggering. Yeah. Because what drawdown is and what it contains is it's simply Paul Hawken, the editor behind it, assembled a team of researchers, scientists, and they actually, what they say is they did the math on all the potential ways we have to reverse global warming yes. and climate change. Yes. So this is not a book about trying to lessen your impact. It's not about trying to 
to lessen but not eliminate your carbon footprint. This is really about the big scale mechanics and systems that we can apply across the world to start consuming carbon rather than emitting it. Mm. And there are 80 of those plans that uh, 80 of those ways that are already in existence. There's already enough data around them that this team thought, yeah, we can actually start to to do the math on this and start to rank all 80 of these potential ways yeah. by what we should be focusing on first. It's exciting in that some of these methods may well be the difference. It's all about, in fact, the title is the most comprehensive plan ever proposed to reverse global warming. As you pointed out before, it's not about doing bits here and there to mitigate against climate change. It's about reversing. It's drawing down the carbon to get to a level where we are taking more carbon out of the atmosphere than we are putting in. So did it surprise you, Rich, what solution number one was? It did. It did, and that is heating, ventilation, and air conditioning, which I know you have an announcement to make about for the climactic show, Mark, but it is number one. Yeah, that's completely right, Rich. The, the HVAC industry has such an immense power right now. They've got the potential to release a lot of greenhouse gases, and we're talking uh, refrigerants. So if you look mm. at the fridge in your kitchen yep. and the coils on the back, the liquids and the gases that are running through those, if they're released, they are factors of sometimes thousands more powerful of greenhouse gases than CO2. So this industry holds at its hand such an immense potential to either warm our climate or through changing yes. their business as usual practices. Now, luckily, this is an industry that while it's quite invisible to most people is also becoming very active in this space and really owning the fact they've got this potential and that they're currently responsible for a lot of damage. So just to give a sneak peek of what's coming up next week, we actually do have, again, something special. And not to just reuse that word all the time, but it it means something here. We're carrying on that theme yes. of optimism and solutions. And we're going to look at the power that the HVAC and refrigeration industry have to be leading the charge. And we're going to do that by speaking to Phil Wilkinson, who's an executive at ERA. That's the heating, ventilation, air conditioning, mm -hmm. and refrigeration industry group here in Australia. And we're going to get to play also some choice bits of an interview that Phil recently did with, of all people, Paul Hawken. Look, I'm expecting a lot uh, next week. No pressure, though, Mark. <laughs> but oh, it really God. is the, <laughs> just reading this book, just flicking in and out of it, even if a few plans, whether it's with uh, HVAC or, or, or wind turbines or anything, farming, even if a few of these plans come to fruition, it's relentlessly optimistic. And the fact that we can reverse mm. global warming is a possibility. Relentlessly optimistic is a great word for it. And what you think it's fair to say that, that Paul Hawken, by instigating this work and previous books he's written as well, he's, he's become a bit of a rock star in this space, hasn't he? Well, rock star's an interesting term too, man. <laughs> but as you'll hear from the interview next week, Paul is, is an amazingly self-effacing and, and humble guy. And um, I'm really looking forward to bringing you that interview. And well done, Mark, with the interview with Lee Baker. That was really good. Okay, now to some credit. Producer Caleb Fidicaro, our designer Abigail Hawkins. And I'd like to thank senior advisor Gretchen Miller and for our music, Greg Grassi. And I want to say a special thank you to Lee. Thank you for being a great guest. And as we're recording this, happy birthday for yesterday. 
Mark, I think you've got a bit of news about a podcast that you did a couple of weeks ago on a show called The Blunt Report. Yeah, yes, I did. I had the chance to do a collaboration with a fellow podcaster Mm -hmm. here in Melbourne called Connor Blunt, and he put together this great chat we had all about climate change, how it relates especially to, to science, and it gave me a good chance to sort of talk through a lot of my thinking about how I think that climate change mm. is the biggest issue facing all of us. So I, I really enjoyed that. And, and Rich, you had to listen to it. What did you think? Yeah, and I love the historical references too, Mark. And I must admit, Connor got me thinking as well. I mean, you're always making me think, Mark, but I, <laughs> I expected that. But uh, but Connor was very good coming at it from a scientific angle. So if you guys want to check out that show as well, there will be a link in the show notes. Also, a link to our brand new YouTube channel, where we've also put together a playlist of all the best drawdown videos from around the web. Okay, thanks for listening, folks. Bye. The Climactic Collective.